Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 24. Remember last week Timothy was told to flee also youthful lusts and to avoid foolish and unlearned questions and so on. And here we go in verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Father, would you guide us as we look into your word tonight? It is precious, and uh, we, uh, we give you thanks for giving it to us. Lord, we have it in so many ways and in so many forms, uh, print and on, digi- on digital and audio. And Lord, we're just really, really blessed. And I pray that tonight you would give us just such a, a gratefulness for uh, your word and what you've given to us. Tonight, would we receive this, these verses uh, with uh, meekness and allow it to be engrafted into our lives so that we might be different for you we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title of tonight's uh, message is The Lord's Servant. The Lord's Servant. If you notice there in verse number 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. As Paul is talking to Timothy, he is referring to Timothy as a bond slave. Now, this passage is particular to Timothy. These, these books are given to the church uh, to remind us how we are to behave ourselves in the house of God, which is the Church of the Living God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. I'm really grateful that we've gotten to gather today and come in from all the chaos in the world into the pillar and the ground of truth and be kind of reset, get reoriented, uh, get some things cleaned up, and be able to go back out and make a difference for Jesus Christ. I hope that, I hope that the lens on the lighthouse has been uh, kind of cleaned up in your life, that your salt has gotten a little saltier uh, today and that the Lord has enabled you in that way. So as we've gathered here, this is for the church, but Paul is specifically speaking to Timothy as a servant of the Lord, as a bond slave, someone who has uh, lost all right to himself. And in fact, Paul oftentimes acknowledged himself as a bond slave of the Lord and uh, introduced himself that way in the beginning of many of the epistles. Here I am, I'm a, I'm a servant, I'm a slave of the Lord. I, I have no rights to myself. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 5, he says, For we preach not ourselves, remember that as we go out this week, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And so he just acknowledges, I am a servant of the Lord. Now, every one of us uh, are not a pastor. We understand that. So does this passage of Scripture have application for us? Absolutely it does. Every one of us can be a servant of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? And what a wonder it is that we get to be a servant of the Lord. I mean, just think about that. 
I mean, you can think about working for you know, a, a, uh, a good boss, and boy, I, I get to be a part of this company, and it's really great, but that only goes so far. And in an instant, a company can change, right? Uh, that, that can all change very, very quickly. But we serve the infinite, almighty, all-powerful God that is still on the throne, and he has uh, control over all things. He has oversight over all things. He has perspective over all things. We get to serve him, and we get to be called the servants of the Lord. And that's a really amazing thing. And we ought to just glory and, and thank God for that. Don't you think? Amen. And we should just give thanks to God for that. So every one of us can be a servant of the Lord. 37 times in the Old Testament, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. Almost throughout all the books of, of, of Joshua, when Joshua referred to Moses, he said it in this way. He said, Moses, the servant of the Lord. It was always tagged on there. Moses, the servant of the Lord. He had that much of a testimony before the people of Israel. That he was a servant of the Lord. We find uh, uh, he is mentioned one time in Deuteronomy right at the end of his life by God. God, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And so that was God saying, hey, this is Moses, my servant. Moses, the servant of the Lord. He's mentioned 34 times in Joshua. He's mentioned one time by the prophet Jeremiah in 2 Kings 18 and verse number 12. Um, Moses, the servant of the Lord, he's mentioned twice in on Chronicles by Ezra. Moses as the servant of the Lord. And then what's interesting Joshua comes on the scene, the first, uh, the first verse of Joshua, it, it acknowledges that Moses was a servant of the Lord, and then it says Joshua was Moses' minister. And he made much about just following around uh, Moses and, and caring for the needs of Moses, and he was the minister to, uh, to Moses. And I thought that was really interesting because at the end of Joshua's life, here's what the Bible says, Joshua 24 and verse 29, and it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And so what had characterized and what he had honored in Moses became the reality, became the statement that God put upon his life. Here's the servant of the Lord. And every one of us can be a servant of the Lord. I'm reminded that Samuel was the servant of the Lord. 1 Samuel 3 and verse number 10. He said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. He acknowledged that even as a young boy, he was a servant of the Lord. We ought to encourage the youth. You ought to encourage your grandchildren. We ought to encourage the youth that are in here. Be servants of the Lord and involve them in the service of the Lord. And even as we gather together at the, as, at the parade and you see the car on the kids on, carrying the cars on the parade route, encourage them with the fact you're serving the Lord. You're, you're, you're being a testimony for the Lord. You're part of this church and we're trying to reach out in this community. Let's be servants of the Lord. David was called the servant of the Lord, Psalm 18, in the title of the of the psalm, which is also given to us by God and is inspired. It says, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who spoke the words of the Lord of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. And so he was a servant of the Lord in that he spoke the word of the Lord and that he exalted the Lord in that way. And so every one of us can be the servant of the Lord. Yes, Timothy as a servant of the Lord, Paul was going to remind him of things, but may we all seek to be servants of the Lord even this week. Colossians 3 and verse 23, And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it, uh, as, uh, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Why? Knowing that of the Lord ye, re uh, ye shall receive the reward of inheritance. And notice, for ye serve the Lord Christ. 
for you serve the Lord Christ. Let's say that together. For you serve the Lord Christ. Every one of us, as we go out this week, whether your job is, is manual, whether you're at a keyboard, whether you're on the phone, serve the Lord in that job. Serve the Lord in that job. It's hard to find good help right now, right? And that's what everyone's saying. They're not showing up to work. May we be beacons for Jesus Christ as we do everything heartily. Why? Not because we're serving that boss. We're serving the Lord Christ. We're serving him. And when people ask, why do you work so hard? Why don't you slack off when the boss is not around? Because I serve the Lord Christ. And so it's so important that we keep that perspective. Now, Jesus told us in John 15, verse 20, that we're not greater than our master. Now, Jesus was the ultimate servant of the Lord, was he not? He was humble. He was the ultimate servant of the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? If it be your will, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, thy will, not mine. He's the ultimate servant of the Lord. We can all mimic him. We can exemplify him. But he said, listen, you're not above your own master. You're not above uh, the greatest servant of the Lord. You're not above your master, Jesus Christ. He said, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, uh, they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours. And so we have to keep in mind what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy here is this. Timothy, you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as a servant of the Lord, you're going to come up against times where it's not easy. It's not easy working with that person. It's not easy trying to lead in that way. But here's how you need to lead. Here is how you need to go forward. Here needs to be the mindset as you go forward as a servant of the Lord if you're going to endure the opposition and the difficulty in a way that would please the Lord. And so what I want us to see tonight is how that Timothy was being instructed to go forward as a servant of the Lord. First of all, notice the attitude of the servant of the Lord. The attitude of the servant of the Lord. He says there in verse number 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. We understand the idea of striving is to, to spar, is to be quarrelsome. It is to uh, be ready to fight verbally. Just kind of be ready to, to take the opposing view. Have you been around people that always are ready to take the opposing view? And they're just kind of known for that. And they're going to be quarrelsome. They're going to be eager to get to that fight. You know, I think about this matter of striving. God says, I don't want you, Timothy, as the servant of the Lord, to be ready to fight. I want you to have a, a calmness in your heart. I want you to have a, a, a subtleness in your heart. You don't always have to get in the last word. You don't always have to set everything, everything straight. You don't always have to engage in, that, in that, that quarrel, on that quarrel that's going on. I was thinking as I was preparing this, of what the Lord has had to do in my heart to, uh, to, uh, to bring me to a point, uh, not of perfection, but to mature me. I remember as a, as a teenager, as a child, I had an extremely short fuse. An extremely short fuse. I just saw, I just saw some of your eyes go like, what? No, it, it was bad. It was bad. I was known for my temper. I remember uh, one time there were some older boys picking on me, and, and I had just, I had just uh, gotten a pocket knife, and uh, we were out in the front lawn, and these older boys uh, there at the school uh, where we were there at the ministry, they, they did not want anyone to drive bikes across the lawn because they wanted the lawn to remain uh, you know, perfect and you know, straight lines. So you know, what would a younger boy do? Drive across the lawn, right? And, uh, and it wasn't until later that I, I started becoming uh, uh, fastidious about you know, lawns, uh, the lawn and so forth. So at this point, this 
guy stops me and says, I'm going to handcuff you. And he's now a state trooper down in North Carolina, okay? And he's a big dude. But anyway, uh, anyway so he's, I'm, I'm, I'm squatty. As, oh, I, I, I don't think I'm even 10 yet. I think I'm probably around the age of 8. And I had just come across uh, a, a broken blade off of a, a, a Swiss Army knife. And so I pulled that thing out of my pocket and I said, oh, yeah? And, you know, I, 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 I told him what, what for, and then I ran. And I hid that, that, uh, pot, um, that um, part of a blade in, uh, in my, uh, my crayon box in, in the school. And I thought that would be all right. Well, unfortunately, uh, he told. And then the, uh, the, uh, the, the school principal told my dad. And I got called uh, to my dad's shop. And, and uh, my dad said, you know what? Uh, until you're 10, you ain't having a, you ain't having a knife because you lost your temper. You can't control yourself. Boy, I lost my temper. My, uh, my, my younger brother, Micah, um, who we get along with uh, fine now, but boy, I'd lose my temper on him. He used to annoy the fire out of me, and I probably annoyed the fire out of him, but I used to blow my, my stack with him all the time, all the time. And uh, it, it's exciting to see what God's doing in his life now and how the Lord's using it. He just got engaged, by the way. That's really cool. Uh, to one of the ladies that was here in the cola class, you saw uh, he was just starting that, uh, that relationship. And, well, they had been praying for, about it for a while and so on. But I used to blow my stack all the time, and not in a, not in a good way. So I was known for my temper. It was about the age of 17. I don't remember when, it, when specifically, but about the age of 17 that the Lord really dealt with me about that. I had to get right with my brother Micah and uh, deal with that. But I had a quarrelsome spirit, and the Lord had to take, um, take care of that. Early on, even, even right out of um, Bible college, the Lord having to work more on that because, you know what, if there's a doctrinal debate, you know what, uh, you know, the preacher boy's going to get in there and he's going to you know, share some things. You know, I had to learn that th- that type of stuff, I didn't have to run to every fight in town. I didn't have to run to everything. You know, I, I find that, that sometimes that, that if there's a fighter spirit, it oftentimes comes right here and then it breeds a fighter spirit within the church. God had to deal with some of those things. And I'm just speaking, uh, frankly, the Lord had to deal with that. And the servant of the Lord is not to strive. Now we find that, we find that here, he says it must not. It's a moral obligation. Why? Because in Titus 1 and verse number 7, for the bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. Not self-willed. Jesus exemplified that very well. Not soon angry, not given to wine, not a striker, not given to filthy lucre, not, not doing it for gain. So he says, I don't want you to be soon angry. That is the qualifications of a, of a bishop, of a pastor. And so Timothy needed to remember this. So how do you balance it out? How does a pastor not have a contentious spirit, right? God says, I, I want your attitude not to be one of contention, but how do you stand up in a very evil day? Because there's much to contend for. There's much to stand up uh, uh, against. And really, when, you, when the matter is God, it really changes the, it changes the whole scope of things. Titus 1 and verse number 9, Titus was told by Paul, holding fast the faithful word as he that hath been taught. And so the pastor is not to be contentious, but he is to contend for the faith. Jude 1 and verse number 3 is to stand for the faith. So it's, it's not a badge of honor to be contentious. It's not. What we are to be is to contend or to stand up to guard the truth, not because it's my truth. Many times when we are being contentious, we're trying to preserve ourselves, our own position, or our own dominance, or our own, uh, our own level. 
you know, I, I have this, I, you know, I'm at this place in the argument, and I, I want to win this thing. And many times uh, when we're contentious, it's, it's more about our personal pride rather than standing up for God's truth. And so that we must contend and stand for the faith, but not in a contentious way. So what should be the attitude of Pastor Timothy? He is not to be contentious. He is to be caring. In verse number 24, he says, But gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. He's to be gentle. Now, Paul said, and we went over this in our Sunday school this morning, Paul said in uh, Philippians 2 and verse number 20 that, that he had no man that naturally cared for the state of the Philippian believers other than Timothy. So likely when Paul ran over to Thessalonica, he left Timothy there in Philippi to continue to minister there. Later on, when he writes back to um, Philippi and says, hey, I, I just want you to know, there's no one like this son in the faith that I have, Timothy, that cares for your, your state, for how you're doing spiritually. And so um, he exemplified that, and now Paul is just undergirding it. Timothy, make sure you're gentle to all men. Make sure you're apt to teach. Have a care about what's going on. Be patient. The idea of gentle is to be tender, tender. Uh, where it's, it's, it's okay to shed a tear. It's okay for the heart to break. Uh, Timothy, be tender. Paul said to the Thessalonican believers, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. We were gentle. We cared for you like a little baby. We cared for you. And we didn't, we didn't just blow you over, we, we cared for you. And so uh, Timothy was to be gentle. Timothy also was to be apt to teach. He was to be ready to teach. He was to be equipped to teach. He was to be studied to teach. He was to be uh, prepared to teach. And so the Bible says in Titus 1 and verse number 9, uh, holding fast, holding on, on, taking that stand, the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he might be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So Timothy's holding on to the word of God and not being wishy-washy about it, not letting it go. His holding on was the result in him being able to teach the people, teach those there in Thessalonica and, or in, in Ephesus what it was to, uh, to know the truth and to follow after the truth. And so also notice the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. That was to flow right out of the ministry of the pastor there in Ephesians 4.11. So make sure that you're speaking the truth in love. This is what Paul was, to do, um, Paul was to do, and this is what Timothy was to do. He was to be apt to teach, but also patient. This is long-suffering, patiently bearing wrongs, uh, patiently bearing trouble, uh, patiently tolerating, uh, uh, tolerating the, the, uh, the, the growth needs that are going to be present within the body. Now, it's interesting, this word patient is only used here. Uh, the idea of patient, God calls the pastor to be um, patient. In fact, gives it as a qualification in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 8, gives it as a qualification of a bishop to be patient, to be long-suffering. But this particular word is only used here. Why was Timothy needing to be told you need to be patient and give people time and tolerate and, and lead along and be long-suffering? Why was he told that? Someone tell me. Help me out here. Why was he needing to be told that you need to be patient with the people there at Ephesus? Because he wasn't, all right, there, there's a good one, but what else? Takes time. 
So it's going to take some time. What would you say, Miss Gail? Because he would need it. Because he would, anything else? Now think about this. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. You know what? We're all made of the same stuff, aren't we? Right? We're all made of flesh, aren't we? So we can all be very stiff-necked, can't we? How many of you say, you know what? I have a stubborn streak in me. All right. So why did Paul have to tell Timothy that he needed to be patient? Because he's dealing with people. That's not a slap, friends. That's a reality. We're all a little bit stubborn. And we all need some time. But I want you to notice here what uh, Hebrews says. Paul's speaking to the, um, the believers at large in, in Hebrews chapter number 5. And he says this, Hebrews 5, verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. And then, I, are you looking, are you all there with me? I know what, I'm gonna, um, what the Bible's going to say next isn't really fun to read. Seeing you're a doll of hearing. I, I mean, did we miss that? I mean, that's a really hard reality right there, what it was just said. But it's true. It's absolutely true. Why is a servant of the Lord going to need to have patience as a qualification? Because sometimes people are hard, to, uh, hard of hearing. They're dull of hearing. Um, and that's the, that's the case. The servant of the Lord is not exempt from that. Right? But in dealing with people, we can be dull of hearing. Now listen, go on to verse number 12. For when, for the time, you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. What's he saying? Uh, you're kind of behind in the whole maturing process. Uh, I should be counting on you as a teacher to be able to teach others also, but you're kind of behind. Well, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Let's go on. Verse thir uh, 13. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word. Of righteousness. So we're not to be content with just the, the, just the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, I got that down. I need to be able to dig a little bit deeper. Oh, I know Jesus is God. I need to be able to dig a little bit deeper and, and go further. So this person is a babe, verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age. They're mature spiritually, even to, on those who by reason of use their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. So they're not babies anymore. They're able to discern on their own. They're able to read the word and discern how to uh, apply it. And so Paul is saying, listen, I want you to understand, sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we're dull of hearing. And yes, Timothy would need to have long suffering in order to deal with that. And by the way, it takes humility on our part to read Hebrews chapter 5 and those verses because we need to be able to recognize I'm that way sometimes. Right? Right? I have to be able to recognize that. If I don't recognize that, I'm, I'm, I'm of all things very hearing. And so it's very important. So Timothy had to have to guard his heart and remain focused on God if he's going to be able to endure the opposition and just the, the daily grind of ministering and dealing and, uh, and, and helping people uh, on to Christ. And so he would need to remember Jesus Christ, as uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 8 says. He would need to remember uh, him and, and uh, allow what he did at the cross and the, the contradiction of sinners to uh, encourage him just to continue on, be long-suffering, go all the way 
uh, for people, go all the way with God. So that's the attitude of the servant of the Lord. He's not to be contentious. He is to be caring. He is also to contend for the faith. He can't just let the truth go. He needs to be, uh, he needs to contend, not contentiously. He needs to be caring. So notice then his activity in verse 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. In meekness instructing those that impose, uh, oppose themselves. He is to instruct the wayward. So in any any gathering and any assembly of saints, there are going to be those that oppose themselves. There are going to be those that are wayward in their relationship with God. How many of you would just say, you know what? There are times I get wayward with God. There's one, two, we're growing. Should be every hand in the auditorium, right? Because all the time we get out of sorts with God. And God has designed this gathering to help us get back on track. We don't gather here because we got it all in order. That's what many people and even, even believers have, in, in, and sometimes young believers really have it all out of whack. You know how many times I hear young believers say, you know, I just don't fit in there. Because they think we came here having it all in order. They came from a fight on the way in. And they're like, I don't, I don't belong here. Friends, we came here because we need to get back on track. We need to be instructed out of our waywardness. We need to be instructed out of our, you know, following our own flesh and our own, our own path. And so in meekness and gentleness and humility, uh, strength under control, Timothy was to instruct those that impose themselves. The word instruct here is literally the same word for raising up a child. Paul was not telling him to treat them like children. He was telling them to use that same practice of instructing and instructing and instructing and raising and shaping line upon line, precept upon precept, instructing them. This was to be his, his present everyday operation that he was instructing, constantly reaffirming the truth to them. The same word is used over in Titus 2 and verse number 12 to describe what the Holy Spirit does to us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. The grace of God is teaching us to deny ungodliness. And so the same word is there, is shaping us, raising us up as children, raising us up, rearing us up, and helping us to live godly in this present world. You know, I think about this. The Lord convicts me about the, the need to encourage and to instruct the wayward. I don't like confrontation at all. How many of you love confrontation? None of you. You know, I don't either. But you know, sometimes my heart will be burdened about uh, somebody or a, a situation. And I'll pray on it. I might, I might wake up thinking about it. might go to bed thinking about it. Talk to the Lord on it. And there's sometimes there's no, no other way other than going to them and instructing them. And that's part of the job of a pastor. And no one likes that. Right? Do you know what is said here? Timothy, you need to instruct the wayward. You need to instruct those that oppose themselves. Do you catch that? He did not say, I need you to go instruct those that oppose you. You see how clear scripture is here? So we have someone following after their own heart, their own way, and Timothy, as the, the, the spiritual leader in that flock there at Ephesus, needed to remember, you need to go to them 
because they're actually opposing themselves. They're against themselves. They are running to their own hurt. They're running to their own demise. They're running against themselves. One of the hardest things for me to do is to watch people disregard God's word, make their own decision, and then be on a a course for shipwreck. To watch it. I've walked out of situations where I've just I've said to myself, God, I know they're making a decision that is going to hurt them and they don't see it. It's going to hurt them long term. It might not show up in a year. It might not show up in two years. But I fear if you don't get in the middle of this that they are going to hurt themselves. Timothy was to instruct them. You know that much of the preaching of the word is about instructing us that oppose ourselves. God, God listed out for us and says, here, don't go that way. You know that part of, let me back up for a second. I have pastor friends that are in council-heavy, heavy churches where there's a lot of one-on-one counseling. But something that's interesting is if we all give attention to the word of God in settings like this, and we ought to pray that our church will grow in its desire to be assembled. Hello? It ought to grieve you as much as it grieves me to see people not assembled. But do you know what this means? There are going to be counseling situations that I have to instruct people opposing themselves because they weren't in the house of the Lord listening to the preaching of the word. There are sometimes I'll I'll just send along a sermon that I just preached. Said, you know what? I actually just dealt with that issue. People oppose themselves. And Timothy's, Timothy's activity was to be helping them along helping them to understand, shaping them, help and being patient in that instructing. There's no, there is no clobbering going on here. It is a, from a heart of concern. Hey, don't go that way. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Uh, you know, I think about some of the ways that people self-oppose themselves. You know, uh, there is doctrine. They, they get following after. People will go to doctrinal extremes. You know, there are some folks that are not with us any longer that have gone to a doctrinal extreme that led them down a road that hurt, that hurt. It led them away from the people of God, not toward the people of God, not into greater fellowship, but uh, to to separate. Uh, There are sometimes self-opposition that comes from the priorities we set. One of the things that just alarms me in our, in our American fast-paced way is we just can't seem to give priority to the things of God. It's a constant fight. I can preach on it, and I can preach on it, and you hear me preach on it. You hear me talk about this. Friends, the priorities that trump the house of God and the things of God are, is something that people are allowing in their lives to the very opposition of themselves. Timothy was to instruct in that way. You might say, Pastor, I think you ought to not talk as much about you know, people attending and being gathered in the assembly. Friends, they're opposing themselves. Amen it. I know you're here tonight. Praise God. And I appreciate that very, very much. 
But understand, when we set priorities outside the kingdom of God, he was the one, not me, that said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God knows the bills that we have. God knows the issues that we have. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Grow in his in, in, in prioritizing his kingdom, grow in practicing his righteousness in this world. You cannot, we cannot do all that the world demands of us and keep God first. We can't. You know, I, I get burdened. I was talking to a, an officer not long ago and he said something about getting together. And, uh, it's amazing People will run from one activity to another activity to another activity to another, so much so that they're not home a night of the week. There isn't space for God if, you, if, you, if he was as thin as a razor. You know, I, I can think right now of folks that have come to the Lord, shine brightly for him in, in a little bit, and then it came time Oh, we got to get our kids involved in this activity. We got to get our kids involved in this activity. I got to go do this. And they fizzle out on God. And you can't tell me that they're not opposing themselves and doing this to their own hurt. All that burdens me. There's a lot of instructing that happens over the telephone and a lot of instruction. I'll, I'll talk to people and, and I just say, hey, uh, are you sure about this decision? You know, if you, if you make this decision, it's probably going to lead you away from church. No, pastor, no. No, I, I, that won't happen with me. We're going to stay. Three weeks later, where is that person? Where is that person? There's self-opposition that comes with a, a critical spirit. Yeah. There are some that are not with us anymore that got corrupted by a critical spirit. You know, a critical spirit, um, it's like acid. It'll destroy the container it's held in. And when we can't come in without looking at what's this person doing, what's that person doing, what's that person doing, it is going to destroy us. That will oppose us. It'll hurt us. Oh, there's times that Pastor Timothy was going to have to to deal with that critical spirit, that, that, nagging, that nagging spirit. There's opposition, and I, I'm going to say this, and I, I'm going to spend just a touch of time here because I feel I need to, but there's self-opposition for any pastor that is, is encouraging people to hold high the standards in an increasingly evil world. We look at our world right now, and we say they're gender-confused, they don't know what gender they are. They don't know that men and women should be together instead of men and men or women and women. They don't know that. I overheard a conversation in a restaurant yesterday. Hey, my mom is getting married to her girlfriend. Isn't that just so great? I thought, this is just the common talk of our world. But friends, do you realize that, that Christianity continues to inch and inch? And we justify over and over and over again our capitulation to the world. We justify it. To the point that 
any pastor, such as a pastor Timothy, or any pastor alive today that is going to hold up some standards in the church and say, this is, this is the line. This is where we're going to stand. He's not dominating upon others, but at the same time saying, you know what? Probably ought to give this standard some thought. Don't just chuck it. There's going to be self-opposition that comes in regard to that, and I see such a, a huge backlash to this, and, and one, of the, one of the big areas that comes down is our clothing. It was Paul that told Timothy this. Timothy, I want you to encourage the men and challenge the men that the number one priority they need to be making happen in their lives inside of the church, the body of Christ, is that they need to be men of prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and following. And as much as the men need to be upholding prayer in the church and leading out in that way, he says in verse number 9, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. The idea there is modest as inappropriate. Shamefacedness is really where we get the idea of modesty. Now, modesty is an issue of the heart, first and foremost. And I, I do agree with this. Well, the Bible, the Bible is, is putting it down as, as a... a priority for the women here in the, within the church, within the, the, the gathering and within the assembly, within the, within the, the life of the church, even, even beyond these walls, the life of the church, they are to uphold modesty. They are to be distinct in that way. They are to, that is to be a priority. Why does God have to tell the women that? Tell me why. Okay, lust. Anything else? What's that? Bring glory to self. Some of it is God instructs us to, to, our, to our weakness or perhaps to our blind spot. So, so he's instructed the women, this is to be a priority for you. This is, not, this is not a little matter with God. This is to be a priority to you. Whatever modesty and shamefacedness means, the women of, of God are to focus and make this a, a priority. I do believe that men and women are to be modest in their apparel. So it's not okay for, they cover up the ladies, but the men can walk around without their shirts on. And all the women said, ladies, you're, you're not representing very well tonight. But you know, it's very interesting that we've, we've almost gotten to the point where we think that's just the ladies' issue. Modesty is a matter that, that comes from God. It starts in the heart and it, and it is revealed in our clothing. Just because you put a dress on somebody does not mean they're modest, right? Modesty starts in the heart and comes out in the clothing. I'm not going to dive into this because the whole message is not on modesty. However, I want to just note and put something in your mind. Before sin entered in the world, the Bible says in Genesis 2 and verse number 25 that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. It was not a problem. They were not ashamed before their maker. They were not ashamed. But however, after sin, chapter 3, verse number 7, 
their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. God puts nothing in the Bible on accident. Nothing. And here he is in the third chapter of the Bible talking about our clothing. Now what did they sew together? They sewed together loincloths what apron is God said "Uh uh-uh that ain't enough it's reality I mean about 14 verses later he comes to them and he had killed an animal and gave them skins and you notice what it says there unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothed them The word clothe means to be covered around. Now, we live in a day that everyone seems to think that shrink-wrapping yourself is clothing yourself. It's not true. The whole legging generation that's going on, friends, it is as immodest and ungodly as the day is long. And I said that. And I have no beef about saying it. It's ungodly. It draws attention to oneself. It's not clothing. Clothing is to cover around. Clothing is not to draw attention to our form and to our figure and to incite the lust of others. And people say, you know, the men should just, men should just clean up their minds. I understand modesty is, is, is two, two-sided, but God did make men to be eye-driven, and no godly sister in Christ would want to ever draw attention to herself in a way that she should not in a way that would cause a man to lust after her. And then there are men that have a problem on their own. But God says, make modesty. Modesty needs to come from the heart. Modesty needs to come from the heart. And it needs to be reflected in your clothing. So this whole thing of opposing, boy, as a pastor, constantly just, just push, push against. Listen, we have a new generation coming in that knows nothing of modesty. They believe that it's not okay to wear their underwear around people, but they can go to the swimming pool and wear underwear that is colored and specifically for swimming, and it's okay. When the people of God can post pictures of themselves in their swimming attire, and it, 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 it not be a problem, we, we have a problem within the church of the living God. It's defrauding one another. And so I, I don't know what Timothy was dealing with, but Paul had to tell him in 1 Timothy, hey, make sure you tell the Ephesians, which was a very corrupt culture, to make sure they're putting on their clothes when they come to church and make sure they're putting on their clothes when they're going out in town. Don't be drawing attention to yourself. We've all heard the long, loose, and layered, and I know there's, there's plenty of young guys and young pastors that are you know, just throwing all that off, and you just come, just come as you are. There's still something in the Bible about modesty. And so I, I say that to you tonight partly because I, I, I realize we need to, to reaffirm that, but also just to know that that's one of the ways that a Timothy was opposed, and it's one of the ways that a, 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 a pastor like your pastor will be opposed. Just understand when I, when I put out there, we're all going to wear such and such to the parade. It's not because I'm trying to control someone's life. I'm trying to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and make sure that we're not drawing attention to ourselves. 
And you know the other part of this whole matter? We live in a society that's gender confused and we've played right along with that as mainstream and we've, we've gotten to the point where it used to be a big deal when, when, when women put on men's clothing. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 22 in verse number five, it says that we're not to wear that which pertaineth to a man. This is something that God said. It's not something that I said. Why is the standard at Grace Baptist Church uh, still that we're going to have skirts? Why do I ask that we wear skirts to the parade? Why? I think I have Bible friends. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither a man put on woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination to the Lord. I, I don't want to figure out when I get to heaven that I've, been, I've allowed an abomination of the Lord to happen right within the house of God. And it's amazing that this is one of the things that so severely gets opposed in church life today. And so I encourage you, get behind. The heart, the heart of this is we live in a world that, that, that mocks at modesty, take off as much as, as possible. Like, what happened to parts of the shirts anymore? Like, don't they make shirts in there? Is there a fabric shortage now, like where they can't make shirts to go all the way down beyond the waist? anymore like what happened here i mean we're, we're it's the world that we live in and the church is to be distinct in this matter there's to be modesty and there's to be distinction we ought to be covered and we ought to men ought to look like men and women ought to look like women and there ought to be a supporting of the the pastor in that that way in the sense of you know what pastor's trying to lead us in a way that we keep the line high in a world that is running as fast as it can away from this and I encourage every dad to set that principle standard up in your home. You're responsible for your home. I'm responsible for, uh, for the, this, the leadership of this, this assembly. And so distinction is a biblical principle. You say, Pastor, these seem to be you know, kind of a rabbit trail. They're, they're really not when you think about what, what gets opposed. I want you to understand when God says to Timothy, instructing those that oppose themselves, what does that look like? We could go on for a long time. What what the opposition to oneself is. By the way, we're all going to give an account to God. If God told me to be clothed and he told me to be distinct, don't you think he's going to hold me to account on that matter? So, so in this, Timothy was to instruct them, help them along. And I will come along at, at some point and preach a message specifically on modesty and deal with the, with the clothing issue because it's not going away. It's not going away. And I realize that's not a, a popular, uh, popular topic, but it's an important one that we hold, hold ground on in these days in that we, do you know what? The world can tell. The world can tell. Your clothing says something about you. Their clothing says something about them. The world can tell. Shine brightly for him. Be distinct. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Not in any way. So here's, here's what I want to just ask you. If, if it is possible that you and I can go down pathways that oppose ourselves, and that God has told the spiritual leader to instruct those that oppose themselves, wouldn't it be wise if you and I would have the heart that would just say, you know what, pastor, if there's anything in my life that you see along the way at any time, if the Lord touches your heart about something, would you be willing just to share that with me? 
because I don't want to be going down a pathway that's not right. You know what? You say, well, pastor, who do you say that to? I've said that to multiple pastors. If you see anything in my life that seems to be out of sort, I give you permission and I ask you to come and talk to me. It's important. That's a correctable spirit. And so while Timothy was to instruct the wayward, he must remember, remember God in the midst of all this. Look at verse 25. If God, and I just want us to focus there for a second, he needed to acknowledge God's part, not only his activity needing to be instructed wayward, but he needed to acknowledge that God had a part in working all this out uh, for his glory. When we're about ready to give up, when Timothy would be about ready to give up, he needed to remember, okay, God's still in this equation. Sometimes we think, well, I got to do this and I got to get this person to see my point of view. No. Timothy always needed to remember that God was still in the situation. He needed to be included in the, the equation of every problem and issue that he faced. If, if God, Timothy, could get burdened down like he was responsible for changing everybody. I'm thankful that I don't, I don't and Timothy did not have that type of authority or that type of calling over a person's life. Every believer is a priest before God. There's individual soul liberty, which means Timothy was responsible to declare it, and they were responsible to respond. Right? You, you believe that with me? Responsible. And so the constant refrain of Pastor Timothy needed to be, I see that situation. But God, I'm sure glad he's still involved. But God, if, if God's still involved, there's hope. You know what, uh, what it helped me years so with this, this very matter was a book that, uh, that I read and uh, you might be interested in. It's called The Burden Bearer and it's an allegory. How many of you like allegories? It's worth the read. And uh, it's an allegory with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, application, but it's called The Burden Bearer. I began to realize, you know what? I don't have to bear the burden of changing people on my shoulders. That's, that's God's burden. When I began to realize that I got called to be along Jesus Christ in the yoke, and that yoke is a training yoke, and he's training me, and he bears, he bears the weight, and if I pass it over to him and then say, Lord, what would you like me to do about that situation? I can rest. I remember being in a coffee shop with somebody, and, and I had I encouraged them uh, to follow after God, and, and, uh, and they were saying something you know, uh, about, like, you know, how are you going to respond if I don't? And I said, you know what, I'm going to sleep. It was, it was shortly after reading this, and I was like, that's your problem between you and God. I've told you, I've instructed you, that's your problem between you and God. That's something we all can learn. I don't have that domination over somebody. I don't have control over their faith, and neither do you. And so Timothy would need to remember, but God, if God, if God. And uh, there are times that, that pastors, and I know this to be true, because as pastors we pray, um, pray together and, and, and talk together, counsel together, there are just times you just say, Lord, you know that situation. You're going to have to take care of it. But God, but God. So there's the attitude of the servant of the Lord, not contentious, but caring. His activity is to instruct the wayward, but always remembering that God, God has a part in this in the, the changing of a situation. So what is he to anticipate? So he's encountered these that oppose themselves. What, 
What is he to anticipate in this matter? The anticipation of the Lord's servant is to be one of anticipating repentance. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Peradventure is if at any time. So if any time God would work in the situation and give or he would grant a request. So the idea is that, that, that God would grant to this person a request, but also encompassing this, that God would grant to this this preacher, this pastor, the request that this person would be brought to repentance and notice that they'd be brought to repentance in such a way that they would acknowledge the truth. There is not full repentance from a wayward way until there is an acknowledgement of what is true. So there needed to be a shift in the thinking that resulted in a change of direction and action acknowledging the truth and all of this would be done as God would work in their hearts, and Timothy was to constantly be thinking forward, Lord, I'm anticipating the day that you bring them to repentance. I'm anticipating that day. I love the song, prayer is just as big as God is. Prayer is just as strong as God is strong. Prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up, just pray, just pray. You know what, Pastor Timothy would need to do that. Lord, I... I trust that you're going to work in their hearts and I trust that you're going to show them through the the reproofs of life that they need to change their mind about what they're doing and they need to uh, follow after you. They needed to hear the truth and if they would repent, the truth that they once resisted would be received. God doesn't withhold this from, from these folks. That's not the idea of this verse at all. It's not that God, it's, 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 them receiving this as they request it, it happening as Timothy prays for it. I think of the prodigal son. The dad was standing out there waiting for the son to come home. That was to be the spirit of Timothy. That was to be an anticipation. When's he coming home? When's that person coming back to church? When's that person coming back into right relationship with God? And praying all the while towards that as long as the person is still alive, there is still time and possibility, the potential of repentance. Now, Timothy would need to be careful not to get cynical. Because he could. And always keep a hopeful, anticipating attitude. Maybe they'll repent. Lord, I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that. But notice, he also was to anticipate recovery, that they may recover themselves out of the snow of the devil before this repentance was a matter of the changing of the mind this recovery was them actually taking steps to say i'm done with that wayward way i'm done opposing myself i see the truth now i'm going in the right way i was foolish before i'm going to begin walking in a wise path and so this recovery is to get self-control to sober up it's literally the idea of a drunk person getting sober turning away from that This is a possibility, and uh, it only comes after repentance. There is no recovery apart from repentance. People try to turn over new leaves all the time, but until they are sick of their sin and say, I don't want this anymore, I'm turning from that toward God. I'm, I'm changing my mind about this. And we're talking about those that have called on the Lord. I'm changing my mind about this. I'm going to start following after the Lord. I want you to turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9. And I want to show you that this recovery process does require a personal choice. It starts with a repentance. I'm changing my mind. I'm acknowledging the truth. And now I'm stepping away from this snare that Satan has trapped me alive in. He's made me captive alive in. 
Paul describes repentance that results in recovery in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 9. Now we rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. So do you hear what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9? I'm not happy that you were sorry, that you felt bad, but I do, I am rejoicing that you sorrowed to repentance, that it motivated you to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, not uh, that you receive, um, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. So you are made sorry in a godly way, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. So some people just feel bad because, well, I was caught. Now that's not godly sorrow. That's Saul-like alligator tears and so on. So Godly sorrow worketh repentance. It changes the mind. It results in a change of direction. And then notice here in this verse, to salvation. Repentance to salvation. To deliver. Not to be repented of. The idea is they get rescued from the snare of Satan and they ain't going back. They don't want to go back. By God's grace, they're not going back. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. It crushes a person in hopelessness. That's not godly sorrow. There's always hope if I say yes to God. And so then notice in verse number 11, For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. So here's a person, they've repented, and now they're taking steps to walk in the way that God said. And what's being developed in them? A carefulness. They're walking with, in a circumspect way. They're walking very carefully. And then it says, yea, what clearing of yourselves. You've been set free in your mind and in your conscience. Yea, what indignation. Now you're mad at the sin that you were involved in. You're mad at the, the snare of Satan. You, you can't believe you stepped into that. You, you don't want to ever go back. It's something that is disgusting to you. What indignation, what fear. Oh, can you imagine if Satan gets the upper hand on me again? Yea, what vehement desire. I don't want to. I am going after God with all my heart. If it takes my last bit of strength, I'm going. Yea, what zeal. No one has to prod me along. Hey, are you staying, staying right? No one has to prod me along. What zeal. I'm just passionate about this thing of following after God, not going in a way that opposes myself. And then did you see this? Yea, what revenge. How can I make sure that I never go back there, but really sick it to the devil and make sure that no one else goes to where I was. And revenge. You know, that is full recovery. When a person is at the point where they're able to help others not get in the same snare of the devil. Look at that last phrase. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. There's such a repentance and a recovery that they've gotten to the point their testimony is clear. That's hallelujah right there. That's, that is achievable, possible by the grace of God. And Timothy was always to have that as in his heart. He was anticipating not just their repentance but also their full recovery and his heart was to always be God this is what I'm praying I'm seeking for this this is what I want this is what I'm after Paul on Timothy was to be anticipating this matter and I see I see this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ 
how he brought Peter all the way through. He brought many of the disciples all the way through, but even how he's worked in our lives, how he's been the example of the Lord's servant in this way. You know what I'd like for you to do is take away as, as takeaways this evening. I'd like for you to think about this. You've just heard what Paul told Timothy as a pastor that he was to do. You could take these points of this message and make them your prayer list for your pastor. Be a great takeaway. And then second of all, practice being the Lord's servant. You're not a pastor. Okay, but you're the Lord's servant. Practice these things in your sphere of serving. Practice them. Not slothful in business, Romans 12, 11. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. And let's go out this week and be the Lord's servants to the best of our ability and by the grace of God and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and commit that to the Lord tonight. Would you bow with me? When you breathe a prayer like this, Lord, I, I commit to you that I will pray for my pastor in this way, his attitude, his activity, his anticipation. Lord, I pray that my pastor wouldn't get cynical. Pray that his activity would be dominated by a, a Godward trust. Pray that his attitude would be caring, not contentious, that you would guard him from getting into things. Uh, into, the, the squabbles that you just guard them, that you guide them by, uh, by your spirit. I challenge you to pray for yourself. Lord, I want to be your servant this week. I don't want to strive. I want to be caring. I want to always have an, an activity that honors you and helps people get closer to you and get away from opposing themselves. Lord, I want to be your servant that always is anticipating the comeback. The comeback. The coming back to yourself. I want to be a person that helps people on that way. Lord, help me to be your servant. As you pray there in your seat tonight, would you just commit these things to the Lord? Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.